Hi, I'm Julie, and welcome to Skills for Mars Transitions. I'm very happy to be hosting you. Hi, nice to see you. I'm good, glad to be here. My name is Anjali. Uh, I'm making a transition or have made a transition from being an opera singer all the way to the big bad world of business. <laughs> Isn't that unique? I haven't, I mean, I've recruited in MBA schools for about four years and I've never met anyone with your profile, <laughs> never. And then I've never heard it in, in real life either. So um, when Emiliano pointed me to you for transitions, I said, wow, I can't wait to talk to Anjuli about <laughs> this. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah, I'm excited. I like to talk about myself. So <laughs> very excited to get an hour to do so. <laughs> we are women as well. So we do like that. Yes, okay. women and opera singers, they love to talk about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit of, uh, more about you being an opera singer. What led you to this, to, to studying that? Yeah. What led you to being a musician and working in that in that field? I mean, you did a big part of your life. That's what you did. And then... Yeah. How did you decide to transition? But we will take it one by one. Sure. So starting with my past life, as I call it, um, I, well, if we go all the way back, I think uh, when I was three years old, my parents first said, wow, uh, she can carry a tune, um, which was slightly unique because uh, both my mother and father are scientists or in a science background. My father is a millimeter wave engineer and my mom is a a marine biologist uh, and uh, environmental econ economist. So they're both more science-based, uh, research-based backgrounds. Um, so that was a little unique for the family. My sister's also a lawyer. So it, it, it was the, you know, crazy um, creative one or could hold a pitch lady. So uh, that carried its way through middle school, um, just singing in choir, et cetera. And then when I got into high school, um, I got really serious about it and started uh, training with a, a, a voice teacher and decided to go to school for it um, and somehow got into a classical program, which I had never sung classical before. I was always doing musical theater and jazz. That was my background. Um, and, and I ended up loving it and wanting to learn more and more and more about classical. Um, tried all sorts of different kinds of roles, really started to understand and appreciate um, the kind of slow unravel of classical music. Um, loved performing. So studied it for my undergraduate um, in California and then um, started teaching, especially uh, to younger people, but yeah, I guess a range from five-year-olds all the way to 45-year-olds, started teaching voice, um, and also worked with kids with developmental disabilities, um, using music to help them um, through things. And then just wanted to continue with that performance um, element of my life, because I uh, just was always drawn to it, um, being on stage and decided to take a master's. So I moved to New York and went to Brooklyn College Conservatory of Music. <clears throat> and I took my master's in opera performance there. Um, during that, of course, performing the whole time uh, is a big part of a master's in, in performance. It's not as much like lots of tests as it is actual performing. So did a lot of that. Um, 
did some touring, et cetera, um, graduated and entered the very competitive <laughs> New York uh, scene of, of uh, trying to be a professional musician. I actually started by auditioning back in musical theater, even though I was classically trained. So that was the, the, um, the education and performance side that were kind of mixed together. And during the education, I was doing a lot of performing. Um, and then I'll take one of the small pivots uh, to move us along a little bit to how I got to where I am now. Um, after I graduated uh, and started auditioning, um, I was doing a lot of reflecting because the, the life of a professional musician, classical musician or otherwise, isn't an easy one. You have to um, want to get the rewards, but you also want to take the sacrifices that, that are um, definitely going to be part of your life. Um, and they can be big sacrifices. You can spend, you know, 300 days out of the year touring. It's harder to find a family. You have to spend many hours alone um, practicing, et cetera. So doing and reflecting on that. And I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was opposed to, to that part of the sacrifice, but I think what I was concerned or what I felt was missing was the bigger impact I, I knew that by being a performer, I was able to impact the audience and give them something hopefully special that could affect their creativity, could give them an emotional release, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that that was impactful, but I was still just searching for something more. So what I ended up doing after I graduated from that master's was starting to research, research more um, music therapy, uh, which I had dabbled in a little bit as I mentioned, when I was working with kids with, with disabilities um, when I was quite young. Uh, and I, I went into that field, actually. I ended up uh, in another master's program in New York, um, at New York University this time, uh, working in music therapy or studying music therapy. And a big part of that was, was doing your own practice and field work, um, where, wherein I worked at a children's hospital with uh, children with uh, terminal cancer and severe blood disorders. Um, so my work there was normalizing the hospital setting, um, helping them deal with all the emotions and not just the children that were there, but also their families, because um, there's so much to process uh, from medical procedures to dealing with the changes to dealing with death and more, even more serious. Uh, things. So studied that and worked in that field for about a year. Um, and I loved it. It was very hard work, especially. That's, that's what I'm doing. I think it's rewarding, field, but extremely hard. It was really draining. It was emotionally draining. Um, and especially it made me reflect a lot, not just because of the, um, the fact that it was emotionally draining, but because I saw how, uh, many of the doctors interacted with the music therapists, that it was, you know, maybe the first thing to get cut funding wise, that it was sometimes an afterthought. I, I, that might be too severe to say, but it wasn't, they, you know, there was a, a, a tension or a, you know, this is the medical hardcore science. And then there's that fluffy stuff that we do for the emotions, but that's not that important. We need to fix them and get, get the cancer away. Right. Um, so it was, uh, it was difficult sometimes to get funding. Um, I, I wasn't able to do exactly what I wanted all the time. Um, and so again, because mm -hmm. I am very self-reflective, <laughs> went back and started thinking, is this what I really want? What's missing? Um, 
what's the piece that would make me feel like I'm having the impact that I want, that I feel satisfied, et cetera. Um, and I started then looking at what was missing out of both um, being a classical musician and the impact I could make there and being a uh, music therapist and the impact I could make there. And in essence, it was to an extent um, a business acumen funding and, and the ability to make funding, um, the ability to kind of create reach out of what you're trying to do so that you can make a larger impact. Um, and I thought that I could kind of uh, exemplify or, or um, make a better end product, I guess, as it were, if I knew more about business, this world that like, as a, as a musician, like, yes, many musicians are very business savvy. They learn to be so, but many are not. Um, and you it don't takes, learn it in school, right? There's no, no, there are no classes in business, I imagine. As there are no, not, no, no business classes for doctors, right? You just study music. Exactly. And I, I, I'm sure that there are programs out there that incorporate that. I, I wouldn't say that none do, but the ones that I was in don't. They, they focus very much. Basically, the programs that I was in, if we lived in a society where um, we still had patrons, where there were, was like, you know, a rich king who uh, just had like a staff of musicians and paid them money yep. uh, to, to create and, and whatever, then, then, then it would work and, and musicians would, would flourish more. Yeah, flourish, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's not like that. And the, the, the programs that I was a part of were much more based on like, hey, maybe you'll make it or maybe you will live hand to mouth um, performing in small theaters, which is also wonderful and perfectly wonderful way to live your life um but it wasn't it, it didn't it felt like it was missing something to me and I didn't it I just didn't buy into it that it was going to be enough um for me I mm -hmm. I, I I knew if I pushed and pushed and pushed I might be able to make it very possible that I could like make it make it and you know do world tours and all these kind of things but I I felt like I was missing some tools um Yes, and that's how I ended up moving into. Uh, did you business. did you know that you will be good in business and <clears throat> and can graduate one of the top MBAs in Europe, or it was just let's try it and see? <laughs> I I have to say I don't think I knew what business was before I went to business school. Okay. Um, I don't think I knew what an MBA was before I went to business school. I don't think I knew what an MBA was until I started working uh, and started reflecting on what I had learned and on all of those experiences and putting things together and really actually being able to take the tools and use them. Um, but yes, I thought I would be, I guess, okay at it. Um, I wasn't personally concerned about the, the math element that I think you would assume that a musician is particularly nervous about. It wasn't something that I had exercised on a regular basis in many years. Um, but that personally wasn't something I was worried about. I come from a family of scientists. So well, music is math. It's very, it is very much so. Um, in fact, some composers go over the top on the, on the numbers side of it. And you can see very nerdy compositions. Yeah. Um, that are based around that. Uh, but the theory in essence is also very analytical. It's very, mm -hmm. um, that whatever you want to say side of the brain. Um, For me, it was more, you moved from a very 
emotional field, very humane field to something that was dry, where emotions are not necessarily praised? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think the program that I was a part of was, you know, and it's also, it's not just the program, it's also the the class and the people that were admitted that year. Um, I didn't feel that it was as dry as I expected. So I might've gone in there thinking this is going to be dry and I'm not going to have much in common with these people, but I'm going to get out of it what I can. Um, but I actually was met with a lot of human people who wanted to make a a, a substantial impact in there. And some people who were more driven by, I want to be a consultant and these guys, of course. Um, but some people who were really driven by what can I learn here and take back to improve an organization or to improve people even outside of the organization. So it didn't, the reality did not actually match my expectations, which is a good thing. <laughs> which is good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so- Tell me a bit about the change. You made two changes at the same time, right? You moved to Denmark and yes. you started the, the, the MBA. Yeah. How did it feel? That was a, that was a whirlwind for sure. Um, I definitely didn't prepare myself for it um, in that I didn't take the time to, yeah, I guess, let that soak into my body. Like, what is this going to feel like? Um I thought, first of all, on moving to another country, I thought, well, it's another Western country. My, my partner is also Danish, which was the selection of country was uh, also decided by that factor. Um, we were living a uh, long distance for two years or so uh, and decided also that maybe living in the same country could be nice. And I, I uh, simultaneously decided, okay, let's also do this shift. So all these moving pieces, but I thought moving to uh another Western country. This isn't going to be that different from the U.S. I also, I've said this before and I say it cautiously, but it is true that I think as an American, we have a tendency to think that everyone else is just like us because we see the U.S. as kind of the center of the planet, right? That's that's not untrue um, of most Americans. So even though I actually have a mixed background, my father's from India, but I still, even as a, a, a daughter of an immigrant, I still have this perspective that, yeah, the U.S. is is like it is everywhere because they all just follow us and why would they want to be anywhere else, any other way? Um, <laughs> that was not true. Anyway, so the, the differences between the U.S. and Denmark, even with a, a Danish partner, were profound and I still deal with them um, and we could do a whole series on that that's a big can of worms that we could open up there um, it the language of course is a big um, uh, factor and learning that of course is, is useful I think one of the other things that I learned a lot being here is humility um, not only because it's a big part of Danish culture, the Yendela, which is about kind of you're no better than anyone else, for better or worse. There's some not great things about that, but also really lovely things about that. Um, but just the humility to be quiet in a room, to um, to apologize sometimes if you don't understand or if there's a miscommunication, to not expect that you have the right answer all the time. Um, and to look and be curious about what other people's answers are or how other people live. That was a lot of um, uh, of really important elements of, of adjusting here. Um, 
Yeah, and being a bit of a chameleon, that's also really helpful, being able to kind of adapt to your surrounding and um, pick up on human cues and what you need to do to make other people also feel comfortable. What impressed me in the Nordic countries, and that's especially Denmark and Sweden, in Norway as well, is the work-life balance that everyone strives for, mm-hmm. which is very different to the U.S. Yeah. That's but I think that's terrible. easy to easy to uh, get into the blood, right? And then uh, now if that, you're going yeah. back to the U.S., you're like, ah. <laughs> I know. I would be, it would be really hard for me to let go of that. Um, it's very sacred here in many ways. Um, I think in, in my current work, maybe a, a little less so because we have a smaller team. So, of course, we wear more hats. But in corporate... Denmark, I, my experience, because I've also worked with other companies outside of my own, um, it's been very, really sacred that, you know, we were here at work and we leave and that's uh, the end and we don't answer emails. Maybe we log on later just if there's something really important. But guys, it, this is not my life kind of thing. Um, I go to work and then I have my life outside of work. I like to enjoy the people I'm around at work, but you're not my good friends. We're going to separate those two. Um, So, and then in the U.S., it's this more constant blended blend. Mm -hmm. Your your work and your outside life are just kind of together all the time. And it's also a nice thing because I think people in the U.S. in general hang out a little more often with their colleagues um, outside of work. Um, And so you have more of a family vibe or whatever. But... But it, but it also means that then you feel that you should answer that email at 10 um, or that text message at 10 because it's not an email. If people want to find you in the U.S., they will find you, but they yes. will not dare to disturb you in the middle of the night or a late evening in a Nordic country. No, and I mean, the, I, I've worked with the U.S. from, from over here um, and they gosh, they complain a lot about the people over here because <laughs> I mean, they, they never said like lazy or anything of the sort, but they're definitely like, why are you guys always on holidays and we can't get a hold of you and you you stop working at four um, and that's the morning for us. So that's really inconvenient. <laughs> so both the time difference and the fact that we stopped working so early um, is not, it was not always sure with people, we, the people even with our in our own team if we had a u.s branch or whatever they'd be like guys because they would even work different hours than like if it's a danish company yeah. with the u.s branch the u.s branch is working like an american company so yeah it's 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 the same in it's the same a bit in uh, in europe uh, if you compare yourself with nordic countries now i live in in uh, the netherlands so it's kind of the same mm-hmm. but if you work in other parts it's you you have the same feeling I was uh, in Romania when I started to work with uh, CBS. And then that's where I heard the first question. So I was working with INSEAD and uh, IMD and all of the big, big schools, LBS and so on. And in uh, CBS was the first time when I heard that, hey, I want to be a GM, but is there work-life balance? And I just started laughing. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, come on. <laughs> but that's, that's uh, it's you can't have the first statement and the second have it. one. <laughs> yeah. it's, but actually, I think it's what should, we should be striving for. Uh, and considering that most of the work will be automated at some point, learning how to s- split work yeah. and life or how to combine them in a, in a way that you, you have the best of both, it's not so bad. And it's a good example and a good pilot country, pilot region, if you want, for uh, for this. Yeah. And I like to like emphasize that that I think is super relevant, this work-life balance. I, 
I don't think in general that Danes, when I, that's the experience I have. I don't know if I should speak for other Nordic countries, but I don't think in general, Danes are less productive than Americans. They're extremely efficient. They're very productive. I mean, I will sit next to a Danish colleague and I'll be like, I'm going to go on Instagram for like 15 minutes, but he's just like, let me get this presentation done that I have to do because I want to leave at four and go hang out with my girlfriend um, and cook dinner. And I'm like, eh, whatever, I'll do this and then I'll stay until 630. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the culture. It's just be yeah. efficient and yeah. Uh, yeah, play hard, work hard and... Uh, Exactly. All exactly. of that. So it's not <laughs> you, a laziness, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's 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 good, but it is a difference. And then I thought of you coming from the US, moving to Denmark, that <laughs> you might have felt it. <laughs> because yeah. I felt it and I was in Europe. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, but you, you you have there's something to learn from uh, from them. Um did you ever have fears while you were in uh, in that one year in uh, CBS that maybe it's not the right path, maybe you're not doing the right thing? Like every day. Um, and I, I still reflect on it and I still miss performing very much. Um, I think when I first joined, I kind of was like, well, at least I'm in a new country and that's going to be really interesting. I'm not sure I'm going to take this very seriously because this seems not for me or these people are, I don't know, you know, within the first few weeks when I didn't know anyone, of course, all of my little guards went up like, what if I'm not good at this? Okay. Let me just say that they're all stupid um, <laughs> because then it's not me. It's them. Um, <laughs> so psychologically speaking, that's, that's good adaptation. Yeah, exactly. Right. Put your guard up and make it everyone else's problem. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I definitely went back and forth on, I think, a weekly basis, maybe about, oh, my gosh, is this for me? What am I going to do with it? Because I, I had a, a vision of um, starting my own uh, business, which was one of the biggest reasons that I decided to go to business school. I wanted to start uh, a nonprofit that was using music for global goods. I didn't know how. I didn't know what. I didn't know how, what it was I was going to make money. I didn't know how it was going to be impactful. But but I that was the general idea. And I was like, yes, I'm going to go to business school. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to start my own business. It's going to be great. And then I got there and I was like, oh my God, this is so awful and scary. And I don't think I can do it. And I'm going to be a failure and this is just wrong. And I'm going to, and, and then I, it wasn't even that I necessarily wanted to go back to being a musician. Cause I thought, well, I'm going to be a failure at that too. And I just felt, uh, when you're learning a new skill, it is very difficult to keep your self-esteem or your confidence in a high place because you feel like a beginner. And therefore for me, it made me question everything <laughs> about myself, all of the skills that I thought I had, it was like, I don't actually have any. Um, and I felt like I went back to ground zero. Um, I think a few times through that program. What, what kept um, you focused? What kept you and what kept you motivated to finish the MBA? Um, I think the, the optimistic side of me was part of it, um, which was that this is going to click someday. Somehow I'm going to, there was just like a belief in me that somehow it was going to make sense. Um, I don't, I, and I also, to be quite honest, I was like, I'm not stopping something else. I need to work, work this all the way through and go all in on this because I felt like it was time to learn how to fail, um, even if it really sucked. Because <laughs> I honestly, up until that point, I hadn't given myself so many opportunities to fail. Um, I had done things that I was naturally good at. 
I'd taken them to quite high levels and I had, yes, failed in some ways, of course, during it, but I never felt like I got back on that horse to the point where you're like, oh, this really sucks. And I've made so many mistakes and still got back on that horse and kept going um, until I got over the hump um, and started to feel successful or slightly confident. So I did think that that was uh, worth trying <laughs> one time in life. Cause like, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Cause you fail. No, bah, I don't think that's a medical cause of death. So what is the worst that's going to happen? Um, you're going to be out of some uh, tuition money, which is not a small thing. Um, but you'll have an experience that will definitely bring you to something. And I think having that level of positivity and that kind of faith that I have gained from other yeah, even relationship failures, that it always got better. And that I was always happy that it happened anyway. Um, even if it sucked at the time, um, it, I was always happy that it eventually, um, that I, that I had gone through that experience. So that definitely helped me get through it. Um, yeah. How did it feel to be a junior again? Because during the MBA, you were just learning, right? And everything is new, but then you started working for a company. Yeah. Yeah. During the MBA, I definitely felt like a junior because, and, and it's not because, you know, can I just, business is pretty common sense. It's not rocket science, you know, um, but business people like fancy words that mean very simple things that are very logical and common sense, but they use these words that I didn't know. <laughs> Because I wasn't in the world and I hadn't operated in a business or in a traditional like corporation um, where I would learn those words or what they meant or what they were talking about, even down to a financial statement. I can I know what a financial statement is in theory, of course, but I haven't sat with one at a corporation and looked through it. Um, oh, and that's that product we made and that fits into this line. Um, and it's so, pretty common sense, as you say. I mean, it is. It's, it's completely plus minus what yes. goes into the building of a product. It's it's it it's very it's a, yes. Even corporate finance, which I was a little like, I don't know even what this is. It is common sense when you have the experience. Um, but being a junior in the MBA was was challenging, mostly because I lacked the experience to back up the common sense. And now that I've had the experience, I'm like, oh. I should just go back and do that MBA. And I would have been even more floating through it because uh, it, it is very logical once you understand the background. So that part was just, that was very difficult. Um, and I let a lot of things go over my head and said, okay, we'll park that for later. Cause I don't get it. Um, and I'm not going to, cause I don't have the experience. How can I get it? Um, I learned a lot, however, in our final project when we did a, a, um, a strategy, um, integrated strategy project, I think it's called ISP, yeah. Um, an integrated strategy project where we actually worked with a company on a problem. And then it was a lot more tangible than these case studies, right? Because we were actually sitting with the company. Um, and that was the first time where I was like, oh, oh, and that fits in there and that fits in, okay, I get this a little bit. Um, that was only like a few months. So, <laughs> so it was still only a limited experience. And then um, I, yes, I joined a company um, <clears throat> and I joined a, a large corporation. 
And I really struggled with everything, first and foremost. But the first thing that I struggled in a corporation was with people's motives. I went into that company thinking, we are all here to make this company the best it can be. We're all here for the success of the company. This is so ignorant. I mean, I sound, and I really did go like a a 18 year old. I don't know even. You are the dream of a recruiter. Yeah, but I was so, I was like, we're here because we want to make everyone's life better and we want to perform for the business. We want the business to be its best self. And then I'm like sitting with people and they're separate agendas and their separate motives. And I'm like, who, what? I really don't understand what is your goal around. And it was so confusing. And I really struggled for the first year or so with that because I didn't get it. I, and I, I, I think I'm fairly good with catching on to um, social cues and motives and reading between the lines and stuff, but I just didn't get it because to me it, wasn't what we were there for. Um, I honestly still don't get it. No, and I, I, I still, don't either. It still doesn't click. It still doesn't click no. for me. And sometimes I wonder how a company functions with all those separate motives. With I, all I these just motives? honestly, yeah, yeah. It's really. I mean, and that that was very eye opening for me. And in some ways, that is the part that I was most junior in. Because again, the other stuff is kind of once you know it, it's common sense, and then you can use more of your strategy because you can build on that common sense and make more clever decisions. But the people factor with understanding motives and doing work that I didn't understand the purpose of, as far as like isn't all of the goals supposed to be for the better of the company and its people. Um, And when I was doing work that I thought was only to satisfy the board and not for a greater purpose and not that the board necessarily had anything uh, intelligent to say on such a matter because they weren't uh, involved in that or they weren't experts in that. So those kind of things that were, were challenging, um, and I felt very out of place and very, in a way, scared, not mm, very guarded. I felt very guarded. Um, and then on top of that, I didn't know what people were talking about with uh, very basic business things because I hadn't experienced it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was very challenging. Did, did you choose marketing while you were in business school? No, we, so our, our degree is, is quite general. You could, uh, at CBS at least, it's, um, it's not a specialized degree, but you can take some electives that would like lean you in a certain direction. Um, and I took ones actually more towards the entrepreneurial direction. Um, so I didn't decide it in business school. Uh, our, our strategic project did actually happen to be a marketing solution um, that we thought was most relevant for the company. Um, so I did focus a bit on that in the strategy, but going into marketing was a little bit more of a, yeah, it made sense um, from a communication and an application perspective. Um, I didn't know obviously what it was going to entail in in practice to the outside of like business models and um, you know like the four P's or seven P's or however many P's there are now. Um, 
those kind of things. I, I knew all of those models, which are nice and pretty on paper, but like, what is the real impact of those models and how does it work in a business and what do we actually see the consumer do? I didn't know that part. Um, but from a, yeah, for, honestly, from an application perspective and from knowing how people think, um, they would assume, given my background, I would go for marketing <laughs> or comms or HR <laughs> was the other one that I think people thought I would go for. But Did, I, I'm, cur I'm curious, you worked in and you still work in music related companies. Mm -hmm. Did your background help? Um, I think for my first company, it gave um, a really good story for them. Um, sorry, I hope that didn't make a noise for you. No, no. <laughs> okay, I got a notification. Um, I think it made a really good story for the, um, the company itself. Um, to be able to push that they had this crazy opera singer uh, <laughs> employment and that it, it matched their mission. Um, so I think it, I think it helped in, in that way. Um, in, in theory, um, I think in my current, uh, role, it actually ends up helping more. Um, I don't know that my current company would have, um, wanted to hire me just because of my music background. I think it might've been one of the elements that made me a good cultural fit mm -hmm. to the company, but I, I think it was part of a, a broader um, Got it. reasoning. Yeah. Cause I imagine I, why I asked is uh, because you should know the public more, right? The, the, the target audience. Um, Maybe. Well, because my, most of my background is in classical music. Mm -hmm. Not as much because that tends okay. to be a different target than a lot of commercial companies are looking for, um, unless I was doing insurance or something. Um, uh, but uh, but but I think in general they they bought into the fact that I understood the. I don't want to say power of music, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, the kind of we'll say the marketing the power, the oh. impact of music and how you can, you know, emotionally convince people of something through music. Um, and that that was something worth seeing how that could give value to an organization. Yeah. I think that's valuable and it's kind of, yeah, again, unique. Right? Yeah. You don't, you don't get uh, so many people with uh, such a mixed background and yeah, yeah it's, it is unique. Are you happy with the results so far with the change? With the change? Mm -hmm very happy um especially with a a move to a new company because i was able to learn so much at my old company and then use what i learned at my old company in my new company but then learn completely different things um and first of all i love learning if you gather, don't gather that from my background um and i love yeah yeah a lot of degrees um but i also love um actually executing what I'm learning and therefore growing and becoming an expert. Um, and that is just super exciting to me. I love the analytical element of what I'm doing. I love that I can actually do it and be heard and have action and impact in my organization and not just in my organization. I'm really focused on like what's happening outside of the organization. What's the impact that's happening outside. Um, and that I'm finally starting to see, um, wow, there's so much potential here. In the past like 
two and a half years or so, I started to, that started to really click like, okay, I'm starting to get these skills in place and I'm starting to see what the impact can be both with uh, people outside the company and as far as relationships inside. And that's been really, really cool. Um, and I'm really only at the very beginning. I have so much more to learn um, and perfect. It's just every milestone that I have is a, a really, I feel like is a personal triumph. Um, and, and I'm very, very happy for that. I think I still could have had that life in music if I had stayed with it. Um, but I'm very happy for what choices I've made um, now, looking back. <laughs> Uh, are you still dreaming of uh, being an entrepreneur? I am. Um, so the company I'm working with in now is actually uh, a startup. Uh, so which was a dream anyway, because then you get to wear lots of hats and get like real tangible experience. And what I what I decided after graduating when I was like, I have all of these random model business models in a nice little pocket drive on my computer. Um, what am I going to do with, am I going to start my own business with a drive of, of theories? Um, and I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I didn't have that in me on top of everything else transition wise in me. Um, I think my dad was a little disappointed. He really wanted to be like, now go start a business. Um, and I was like, okay, I want to learn a few skills and apply them in an organization and see the successes of others. Uh, and failures of others in an organization. So it is still absolutely in my head that it's going to happen someday. Also, because I don't like answering to, I have a little bit with authority. Um, and I think, I think I would like to be my own boss for a while. Um, <laughs> um, but I definitely plan on that. It's just that I want it to be right. And I want to know what I want to do. I, I think I want to have something that I'm passionate enough because I know personally I'm driven very much by passion. And as soon as I have like the concept that I'm really passionate about, then that's going to, and the network actually to support that. I think that's really important. Um, cool. Then I would probably go for it. So I guess your parents are happy that now they, don't, they not only have science jokes in the family, but they have uh, business jokes as well. <laughs> exactly. And my dad, my dad is actually a, a, a stand-up, comedian for fun he does that um gigs and whatever um so he does joke quite a lot about it and try and do like the puns and all of the the uh, little um business uh, harvard business review style um things that maybe i would only get um but uh, yeah he, he also started his own business many years ago um and would really love to to get down and dirty on that side as well um so yeah if you were to share two or three key lessons with someone that is listening and maybe wants to make a change, but they are afraid or they don't have the finances or they don't have the support or something like this, and you just say, hey, if I have to sum it up, this, it, this, this would be the top lessons that yeah. I can share. Yeah. Um, those, the, at least the challenges is, that you're mentioning, are those are big challenges, um, and I totally get that. Um, I did have the like emotional support that was super, uh, important for me. Um, what I would say as far as, uh, lessons go, um, one that I still, who I, I struggle with this cause I like to be perfect at everything cause I'm a Virgo and it's very important to Virgos to be perfect. Um, but to 
be okay to fail. And I'm sure you've heard it from a thousand coaches, um, from and all the, I'm sure that the listeners have heard it from uh, every self-help book. Um, but the, oh my gosh, the uncomfortable feeling in your stomach when you know you're going to fail and the lack of sleep on all of it, just like whatever you can do to give yourself those minutes to breathe, to meditate. If you're into that, talk to whoever you want to talk to, um, real or not, um, try and, uh, process it through your body and keep going and be okay with failure. Cause you're not going to die from failure. Um, try it like that. That's lesson number one, because ooh, it, it has just held me back so much um, from things that now as I'm getting older, I realize, wow, I was just afraid and what was really going to happen. Um, so really, really uh, uh, try and conquer that fear of failure um, or at least try even little things, even like something small. It doesn't have to be a big life changing career thing. Start small if that's better for you. Um, that's super important. I, if you don't have the emotional network or whatever at home, I would say get it somewhere. Um, so find a network either in your uh, local. I mean, there's a million free things to join. Um, you can join like, I think like internation, internations groups. If you're an expat, you can join LinkedIn groups. Um, there's lots of ways um, at Facebook groups um, as well. Um, there's lots of ways to just find people resources. There's also mentor programs, whatever, find someone who you can go to when you're like, I don't understand what I'm doing. Um, I, I need someone to help me, uh, process this and, 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 and move through it. And I, I've depended so much on people who now became really good friends who had previous business experience to explain super basic things to me because I didn't even know how to set up a PowerPoint presentation in the right way. Um, so that, that is so important having a network of people that are just going to understand it. Like if I, when I was going to my musician friends with what that, that I had and have right before I joined this MBA and I was trying to explain to them what was a problem, it, it wasn't that they didn't want to support, but it actually was worse for me because then I felt even more like, Oh God, no one has the answer. Um, so finding that network of people who can support you through that transition is so important. Um, and who you can, if you can find ones that you can really be yourself with and be vulnerable with and trust, of course, to be vulnerable with, that is the most you can ask for. It doesn't have to be a relationship. I didn't depend that much on my husband um, during this because he's a musician. He didn't get it. Um, maybe I could come to him crying when I was upset, but I couldn't come to him with like, I don't get how to do this problem or I don't understand this concept because he was, did not know. Um, so that would be a second one. <clears throat> um, and then I think of my third one I have to think real, real good because I want them to be actually helpful. I think the most important third one that I can think of is to be open, um, to not have a closed heart or a closed mind. And I think that's like a life thing, but just be open and ask questions about uh, everything and anything. Um, 
because you never know who you're going to learn something from. And I've worked really hard on a lot of judgment that I have of other people where I assume they're not going to know or they're not going to understand or whatever, but people will really surprise you. Um, and I think being, being open and willing to listen to counter arguments, things that don't make any sense to you. And that also goes for everything in life, really. Um, politics and all that less interesting stuff to talk about. Um, but if you understand the logic behind an argument you don't agree with, or at least understand the arguments and, and whatever, um, that can take you really far. Uh, I've just learned so much from listening to people that I was like, oh, uh, this isn't going. Oh, interesting. I didn't. Okay. Interesting. And those don't have to be the people you trust that, you know, your network of people, these can be people that actually challenge you and you wouldn't want to get close to, but be open. Um, you really don't know <laughs> what you will learn. Cool. And then go back and reflect. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful advice. Thank exactly. you. So, I think this is, yeah. this is going to be really <laughs> helpful for those listening. I hope so. It's, I mean, I, I, I really have to reiterate, it is so worth it if you just trust and keep going and try to go all in on something. If you go all in, anyone can conquer anything. Seriously, go all in on something that you just make a decision for. It doesn't have to be your passion. Whatever. It just go all in. Um, yeah. <laughs> you will get the results for sure. Yeah, you will. For sure. <laughs> it's I just it's just true. I just didn't it's believe it growing up. I didn't believe it. I thought it, you had to be special, born special, whatever. No, just give it your all. Yeah. Um is there something I didn't ask you, Anjuli, that maybe you wanted so. to say and I just um, forgot asking. No, I don't think so. I think the last thing I said is really uh for me the most important reflection on on this time um, and transition period is to uh, go and don't look back and I mean, reflect back, of course, but don't look back and worry and question and um, go for it. And kind of, I guess, just like I said, just trust that things usually work out. Um, awful things happen in life, mistakes happen, all these things, but they usually, they do work out. Um, of course, there's extenuating circumstances for some. I'm not going to yeah. say but, uh, that this is everything, but in general, things work out. If you have the right out. motivation, true, yeah. and then you put the work hours in, you exactly. will do anything. Exactly. I just, it's absolutely true. Absolutely. <laughs> and Julie, I had an amazing time discussing this with you. Yeah, Thank you too. so much for taking the time. You're and I know so this welcome. is a crazy period for you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's crazy for all of us. So there's no excuses there. <laughs> Thank you so much for this. Thank you.